Hey guys, welcome to the Bitcoin Fortress podcast, helping you increase your financial freedom. This is episode 28, recorded on August 13th, 2022. This podcast is for entertainment only and is not investing advice. Do your own homework. Well, I'm back from a two-week hiatus uh, and a one-week vacation in uh, Puerto Rico that I'll talk about later. Uh, so refreshed and ready to go. So we'll uh, we'll kick it off with the market update uh, for last week. Then we'll talk about uh, Bitcoin news in particular. Um, I wanted to to uh, go through three articles uh, that talk about uh, tornado cash, coin mixing, and and uh, some of the things that have been happening in that area recently with some sanctions um, by the U.S. government. Uh, and then uh, and then we'll get into the, uh, it's that time, the monthly portfolio update. So without any further ado, let's jump right in. Stocks clinched their fourth straight winning, winning week with strong gains Friday after the monthly report from the University of Michigan showed a surge in consumer confidence, marking the second consecutive gain for the index since its June low. The upbeat data, coupled with better-than-expected reading of the Consumer Price Index earlier in the week, had some traders feeling euphoric that the worst inflation had passed and that the Federal Reserve might raise its main interest rate by just half a percentage point in September after two consecutive three-quarter point increases. Meanwhile, the bond market continues to take a pessimistic view of the economic outlook, with the spread between the two-year and the 10-year yields deeply inverted at negative 41 basis points. The S&P 500 and NASDAQ gained for the fourth week in a row, up 3.2% and 3.1% respectively, while the Dow jumped 2.9% for the week. Uh, moving on to Bitcoin news. So this first one here is from uh, Bitcoin.com. Uh, and this was posted two days ago. And again, um, I'll put links to all these articles uh, in the show notes. World's largest asset manager, BlackRock, launches Bitcoin private trust, citing substantial interest from clients. BlackRock, the world's largest asset manager, has launched BlackRock Bitcoin Private Trust, according to a Thursday blog post. The spot Bitcoin private trust available to U.S. institutional clients seeks to track the performance of Bitcoin, less expenses and liabilities of the trust. The asset management firm detailed, despite the steep downturn in the digital asset market, we are still seeing substantial interest from some institutional clients in how to efficiently and cost-effectively access these assets using our technology and product capabilities. Bitcoin is the oldest, largest, and most liquid crypto asset and is currently the primary subject of interest from our clients within the crypto asset space, the asset manager added. BlackRock further explained that it has been conducting work in four digital asset areas where it sees potential to benefit its clients and capital markets more broadly. The four areas are permission blockchain, stable coins, crypto assets, and tokenization. Last week, BlackRock announced a partnership with the NASDAQ-listed cryptocurrency exchange Coinbase. The collaboration will provide common clients of Aladdin and Coinbase access to the digital assets trading lifecycle 
through connectivity between Coinbase and the Aladdin platform, starting with Bitcoin, Black, BlackRock described. In March, BlackRock CEO Larry Fink said his company is studying digital currencies, stable coins, and the underlying technologies to understand how they can help us serve our clients. The executive indicated increased client interest for crypto compared to last year when he said in July his firm saw, quote, very little demand for crypto assets. Meanwhile, BlackRock CIO Rick Reeder has made several bullish statements about Bitcoin and crypto. He repeatedly said the price of Bitcoin could go up significantly. He also said in June that Bitcoin and crypto are durable assets. In April, BlackRock launched a blockchain exchange traded fund. Uh, so this sounds like the smart money is um, wanting to be positioned. Uh, they probably feel like the sell-offs are, are done uh, that occurred with all the unwinding of the leverage and uh, the uh, trading and, and hedge fund madness of a couple months ago. Um, so uh, we'll see. Doesn't sound like you're going to actually be able to, uh, doesn't sound like their fund is going to directly own Bitcoin, um, similar to like, say, Grayscale Bitcoin Trust. It sounds like it's going to be derivatives or something like that. So uh, not for me, but uh, probably can't access it anyway because it's only for institutions. So they can have fun with that. Uh, next, I'll go through uh, three articles that really uh, cover um uh, some of the stuff that's been going on with Tornado Cash and the government sanctions around that. Um, first one is kind of an explainer on coin mixers that I thought was really good. Uh, this is from uh, Decrypt um, by, uh, by Jason Nelson. And uh, so I'll go through this quickly and then we can uh, go into another article that talks about the crypto community's response to the tornado cash sanctions off of bitcoin.com and then uh, we'll finish up with an article from coindesk about a uh, developer uh, who was uh, arrested um, uh, who was working on tornado cash so uh, all of this kind of interesting developments uh, as it relates to privacy and um, open source code and and you know whether or not you know software and code is uh, subject to freedom of speech and whether or not people deserve to have privacy or not in their financial affairs. Those are all really the questions that are circling around. So uh, so the first one here, what are coin mixers and how do they work? Tornado Cash and similar services have mixed billions of dollars in cryptocurrency, much of it for legitimate uses, but some to hide funds stolen by hackers. Um, so in brief, uh, privacy advocates call coin mixers a necessary tool for protecting anonymity. Government officials call coin mixers tools for money laundering. Billions in crypto have changed hands using coin mixers. The Treasury Department has issued sanctions against Tornado Cash, an Ethereum coin mixing service effectively banning Americans from using it. But what does Tornado Cash do? And more broadly, why would anyone want to use coin mixers? So in this article, we'll examine the technology behind mixers and their legitimate and illegitimate uses. 
Launched in 2019, Tornado Cash is a blockchain protocol for sending and receiving anonymous transactions. According to blockchain analysis firm Elliptic, over $7 billion in cryptocurrency have gone through Tornado Cash since its launch, with around 20% of those funds tied to illicit activity. A coin mixer is a service that allows users to obfuscate the origin and destination of transactions. Users send cryptocurrency to the service, have the crypto mixed with other coins or tokens, and then send the equivalent amount of mixed coins to a recipient address, hiding the connection between the sender and the recipient. There are many legitimate uses for this kind of service, just as you may not want your employer to know the intimate details of every bank or credit card transaction that you've ever made. You may also not want your employer or anyone else for that matter to know every detail of every crypto transaction you've ever made either. But as the adoption of crypto and blockchain tools grows, real world entities are becoming increasingly linked to blockchain addresses. With every purchase transfer interaction associated with those addresses laid bare on a public transparent distributed ledger, and that's where coin mixers come in. But this also makes coin mixers an attractive tool for cyber criminals and thus a target for law enforcement. While politicians and law enforcement have railed against the use of cryptocurrency in criminal enterprises, coin mixers occupy a gray area between facilitating money laundering and preserving the right to privacy. Because of blockchain's permissionless and transparent nature, some crypto users rely on the added privacy that coin mixers provide. Privacy advocates argue that coin mixers are especially useful, even necessary, in cases where a person's activities like journalism, civil disobedience, and protest can put that person at risk. Because of this, they require greater privacy in their crypto transactions. On the other hand, law enforcement and government agencies see coin mixers as a way for criminals to launder money using cryptocurrency and services like Tornado Cash to obscure where funds originated. In its announcement of the sanctions against Tornado Cash, the Treasury Department said that criminals had used Tornado Cash to launder money, saying the service processed more than $7 billion worth of virtual currency since its creation in 2019. According to Elliptic, only $1.5 billion of that figure was connected to illicit activity. Of those funds, the Treasury said, are the combined $103.8 million stolen in June from the Horizon Harmony Bridge by the Lazarus Group, a North Korean state-sponsored cyber criminal group, and from the Nomad Token Bridge in August. Before Tornado Cash was taken down, it used smart contracts to accept token deposits from one address and enable their withdrawal from a different address. Other coin mixers operate in a similar uh, way. These smart contracts work as a pool where all the deposited tokens get mixed together. When funds are withdrawn from those pools, the on-chain link between the source and the destination is broken, anonymizing the transaction. With Tornado Cash, a user would connect a wallet to the platform, either MetaMask or Wallet Connect, selecting a network and choosing to deposit or withdraw. For deposits, the uh, token options were Ethereum, DAI, CDAI, USDC, USDT, and WBTC. Network options include Ethereum, Binance, Smart Chain, Polygon, and Ethereum Gurley uh, test network. After selecting a deposit, Tornado Cash generates a private note that users would later need to withdraw their funds. After confirming that the users backed up the note, they can continue and send the deposit to the Tornado Cash pool. When ready to withdraw from the Tornado Cash pool, the user provides a recipient address 
The platform requires the user to paste the private note generated by Tornado Cash, which acts as the user's private key. After the user selects withdraw, a proof is generated after which the user can confirm the withdrawal. Uh, Tornado Cash uses zero knowledge, succinct, non-interactive argument of knowledge, also called ZK snark, to verify and allow transactions. These kinds of coin mixers are typically non-custodial, meaning there's no third-party control of the wallet and funds, simply the creation of the smart contracts. Because these services use no intermediary, they are reliably neutral. But that also means they can be a tempting tool for cyber criminals looking to launder stolen crypto as in the case of Lazarus Group. Uh, so what are the legitimate business use cases? So let's say there's a business owner and a crypto enthusiast named Robert who wants to send Ethereum to a hacktivist group operating out of Ukraine. Robert doesn't want his donation to be traced back to him, so he uses a coin mixer. Robert goes to the coin mixer website and deposits the Ethereum he wants to donate. The sent amount is deposited into the mixer's smart contract and pooled with the other hundreds, thousands, or even millions of transactions already in the pool. After receiving confirmation that the deposit was successful, Robert goes to the withdraw tab, enters the recipient's address in the mixer, and sends Ethereum from the mixer. The Ethereum is then sent from the mixing to the recipient. On the receiving end, the address shown is that of the mixer and not of the original sender's address, anonymizing the transaction. If this hypothetical scenario sounds familiar, it's based on a tweet from Ethereum co-founder Vitalik Buterin posted after the Treasury Department sanctioned tornado, tornado cash. As Leah Holland, Campaigns and Communications Director at Fight for the Future wrote, let's be clear, hackers and cyber criminals, as well as those that support them are deplorable and should be stopped, but not in a way that compromises human rights and the First Amendment. So moving on to the Bitcoin article, crypto community responds to tornado cash sanctions. Privacy advocates say there are many legitimate reasons to seek financial anonymity. Um, and some of this is a little bit of a repeat here. On August 8th, 2022, the U.S. Department of the Treasury's Office of Foreign Assets Control, or OFAC, sanctioned virtual currency mixer Tornado Cash. The U.S. government claims that the application was used to allegedly launder more than $7 billion worth of virtual currency since its creation in 2019. Following the ban, GitHub contributors were suspended from the software repository platform. And on August 12th, the Tornado Cash Discord server was deleted. The same day, Dutch law enforcement revealed that the Fiscal Information and Investigation Service or FIOD, arrested a 29-year-old unidentified person that is accused of developing Tornado Cash. A report stemming from the block cryptos Yogita Katri says that the unknown developer is Alexei Pertsev. According to statements his wife made after the arrest, my husband didn't do anything illegal. The suspect's wife told the reporter on Friday, meanwhile, the entire crypto community and privacy advocates are upset with the U.S. government's actions. Welcome to the War on Code, podcast host, host Kobe said on Friday. The nonprofit advocacy group Fight for the Future published a statement about the U.S. government's actions against Tornado Cash. Already the internet is feeling the chilling effects of this choice. The open source code used to run Tornado Cash has been taken down from GitHub. And unfortunately, it seems that such an effect is exactly what the U.S. government was seeking. Fight for the Future's blog post about the subject explains... 
Anonymity is not a crime, and there are many legitimate reasons to seek anonymity for financial transactions. Privacy tools are important to, for example, activists in authoritarian states where revealing financial information could get someone jailed or executed. Crypto developer and co-founder of Aragon, Luis Quende, said, I'm short of words, I'm short of breath. They detained him for writing code. Writing code. These terrorist organizations called traditional nations must be dismantled. The tornado cash conversation struck a nerve with nearly every vocal member of the crypto community. Let's remember that the export use across borders of encryption itself was illegal in the United States until 1996. Shapeshift founder Eric Voorhees said, same war, different battle. Others mocked the U.S. government for banning tornado cash as numerous financial giants have been accused of helping money launderers, but no bank CEOs have been arrested. Thankfully, I've never used tornado cash to launder money, one Twitter user remarked in jest. I use Deutsche Bank like a normal person, the individual added. The attorney, Jake Travinsky, told his followers that everyone should be closely watching the situation in Amsterdam, where a tornado cash developer has been detained. It's unclear if there are allegations of illicit conduct unrelated to writing code. If not, this threatens to be the start of Crypto Wars too. Travinsky wrote. During the last 24 hours, the tornado cash subject has been a very topical conversation stretching far and wide on social media. Tornado Cash developer being arrested by Netherlands FIOD is concerning news, podcast host Stefan Levera wrote on Friday. Imagine if road builders were being arrested because criminals use them, or home curtain installers. Wanting privacy should not be considered a crime. The Block Crypto's VP of Research, Larry Cermak, wondered why other crypto privacy techniques have not been targets of U.S. government. I think an interesting question to ask now is why is only Tornado Cash affected and other privacy projects like CoinJoin, Monero, and even Zcash are still fine? Cermak tweeted, is that just because Tornado was used the most recently or are there some other factors playing a role here? Just odd. He added, regardless, the ability to write open source code and the average user having privacy are among the most important principles in crypto. We need to do all we can to protect the devs that put their security on the line. Fight for the Future explains that people who don't want their financial history surveilled by governments, corporations, stalkers, or other bad actors is a legitimate reason to seek privacy-preserving technologies online. The advocacy group's blog post concludes by stating, We ask that the Treasury focus more carefully on targeting bad actors rather than attempting to criminalize building and using privacy tools or the simple act of writing or running open source software code. Uh, so again, um, a lot of very interesting commentary here, a lot of concern. Um, and uh, I think, you know, uh, certainly some, some good points are brought up relative to privacy and the importance of preserving that uh, for individuals. And then finally, uh, this one here is from Coindesk. Netherlands arrests suspected developer of sanctioned crypto mixing service Tornado Cash. A 29-year-old developer suspected of being involved in the Tornado Cash protocol that's been sanctioned by the U.S. was arrested in Amsterdam on Friday, according to a statement from Fiscal Information Investigative Service. 
Um, FIAD, which began its investigation in June, said it hasn't ruled out making multiple arrests in the case. Dutch prosecutors are investigating the matter on suspicions of fraud, environmental crime, and asset confiscation. Social media speculation that the developer was Alexei Pertsev was subsequently confirmed by his wife. Tornado Cash is an Ethereum blockchain crypto mixing service that allows users to gain a cloak of anonymity when transferring crypto assets. On Monday, the service was sanctioned by the US government for assisting criminals in laundering stolen money. A FIAD spokesperson told Coindesk the suspect will now spend 14 days in custody after being seen by an examining judge in the Den Bosch court. FIAD is also giving extra attention to decentralized autonomous organizations that may facilitate money laundering, the release said. According to reports by several users on Twitter, the Discord channel of the crypto mixer has also gone offline. Its website has not been online since August 8th. So... A lot of uh, thoughts kind of run through your head on this. I mean, obviously, Bitcoin is an open source protocol. Um, It exists in tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of different locations, computers throughout the world. Um, So, you know, the only way to really sanction it would be to stop people from being able to uh, sell it and convert it to fiat currency. But, um, uh, you know, the concept of software being code, being um, speech and being subject to freedom of speech um, makes a lot of sense. And if the software can be used to circumvent authoritarian governments, i.e. being able to pay people anonymously, support, you know, uh, uh, people who are fighting the, uh, you know, or trying to, you know, journalists or other people that are trying to, um, you know, uh, get the word out on, on the, um, what's actually going on behind the the iron curtain of the authoritarian regime. My only question is why would an authoritarian regime want to have something like that? So when you see government action like this, it's got to make you question, is this just for the criminal activity that only constitutes a small percentage of the total? Or is this just a, you know, kind of an opening round to try to shut this type of stuff down? And so it just um, raises a lot of questions. And I think it's an area that we're going to have to continue to keep a very close eye on. Last article here uh, is from Blockworks. And uh, this is on uh, dated August 12th. um, And this is about the complicated process of crypto inheritance, which I thought was kind of interesting. Um, Investors in traditional brokerages are allowed, in some cases even required, to list the beneficiary to their account. Major crypto exchanges each have slightly different protocols in place for transferring crypto asset ownership following the user's death, 
but none are as efficient as the beneficiary designations used in traditional finance. Goes on to say, when Jason O'Toole's 18-year-old son, a crypto investor, died unexpectedly of acute leukemia, the mourning father hadn't anticipated shouldering the burden of an additional stage of grief paperwork. With his son's death certificate, O'Toole was able to retrieve his son's 401k, bank account balance, and final paycheck. But a year later, O'Toole is still struggling to withdraw his son's crypto from Coinbase. Coinbase, along with every major crypto exchange, doesn't allow users to name account beneficiaries while traditional finance brokerages do. This forces bereaved families to submit a slew of documents and potentially go through a court process to receive their loved one's digital assets. Investors in traditional brokerages are allowed and in some cases even required to list a beneficiary to their account. In the event of that investor's death, the beneficiary inherits the account holdings once they can verify their identity in the death of the account holder. Beneficiary designations allow investors to choose who they would like to inherit their assets, especially if they do not have a will. Such agents can also let beneficiaries receive assets without having to go through a potentially long and costly probate process. Crypto exchanges each have slightly different protocols in place for transferring crypto asset ownership following a user's death, but none are as efficient as beneficiary designations. On Kraken, heirs must file a request and submit whichever documents the exchange deems necessary. Kraken asks users to include their Kraken public account ID in their will to make the process easier. Binance is a similarly opaque process that is handled on a case-by-case basis. Coinbase lists the required documents on its website, but it requires a will or probate documents to transfer assets. An exchange representative said Coinbase doesn't charge fees for transferring account ownership. FTX reserves the right to require a court order determining rightful ownership of a deceased user's account. As a user, if I want to inherit crypto assets from an exchange, I basically have to have my lawyer reach out to their legal team, and from there, it's a totally opaque process to me. Alan Long, CEO of Crypto Inheritance Service, SQL Finance, told BlockWorks, there's really nothing established from any of the exchanges. For people like Jason O'Toole's son, who did not have a will, crypto inheritance is handled at the government's discretion through the probate process which typically gives assets to a person's spouse or children. It is unclear why exchanges have not adopted beneficiary systems. There's nothing about crypto that would make it a bad fit for what we would call a payable on death transfer, just like we name a beneficiary of our Fidelity account, Bridget Crawford, professor at Pace Law School, said. It's just that somebody hasn't thought of it yet. Post-death asset distribution is still a developing concept for crypto traders, the plurality of whom are younger than 29, according to a Pew poll. The industry has been around for fewer than 15 years. As crypto and its participants age, the market should push exchanges to add a beneficiary option. I don't think there's ill intent or exchanges are actively thinking about it and rejecting it, Crawford said. I think they just haven't thought about it. When they do, they'll say, yeah, of course we want that. FTX, Binance, Coinbase, and Kraken sent BlockWorks their inheritance processes, but declined to comment on their beneficiary options. And of course, if you self-custody, like I do, um, the, you know, really the only way to uh, handle that, um, that I'm aware of is, um, you know, working with my state attorney on a letter of instruction. And then 
on the letter of instruction, it basically says that that Bitcoin is included in the family trust, gives direction on um, how to access the private keys, which are stored in safe deposit boxes, you know, um, so you can't easily access it. And it's certainly not written into the document because that's the last thing you would want to do. Um, so it basically says, you know, part of the key is located here. You take this key, go down to the bank, open the safe deposit box, and then the other part is over there. And then um, then that would give, you know, the, uh, the trustee the ability to access the coins and distribute them, um, you know, accordingly. So, but definitely a kind of a new thing, you know, self-custodied crypto assets and uh, estate planning um, really need a, a lot of uh, attention, I think, uh, in the coming years, for sure. Okay, uh, moving on, uh, time for the monthly portfolio update for August. Um, things are looking up for now. So I took a week off from the blog for a quick family vacation to Puerto Rico last week. I also paused the podcast for a couple of weeks of summer vacation, and now I'm back at it. So uh, I have to say I really enjoyed Puerto Rico, a place that's been on my list to visit, especially after learning about the favorable income taxes there. You add to that incredible regional food, beautiful weather, excellent beaches, fascinating history and culture, and genuinely nice people. I'd have to say it checks all the boxes as a potential place to spend some time, maybe even in retirement. More and more, I've been looking at not just diversifying and decentralizing my financial portfolio, but also my life and creating options for myself and my family for other places to live. If you're interested, I talked about some of this in my post, Sovereign Individual. Um, there's a link to that. I'll put a link to the blog post uh, in the show notes. That process starts with a little travel and vacationing. And uh, I'll, I'll be honest, I can't wait for the next trip. Okay, so moving into it, the stock market improved significantly over the past 30 days with the Dow Jones returning 10.3%. The S&P 13.9% and the NASDAQ 17.9% since my last update. Big news this week was a weaker than expected inflation report with consumer prices showing no increase in July and a year-to-date inflation at 8.5%. This makes more aggressive rate hikes by the Fed less likely in investors' minds, which helps stocks rally. Also, consumer sentiment as measured by the University of Michigan Consumer Sentiment Index while still significantly below, last year's levels did show some improvement in the past month. Most importantly, an improvement in expectations versus current conditions, although high-income consumers are still gloomy and getting gloomier. Um, here's a quote from the report. Consumer sentiment moved up very slightly this month to about five index points above the all-time low reached in June. All components of the expectations index improved this month, particularly among low and middle income consumers for whom inflation is particularly salient. The year end, the year ahead economic outlook rose substantially to just above its average reading from the second quarter 2022. While the two other expectations index components remain at or below their second quarter averages. At the same time, high income consumers who generate a disproportionate share of spending 
registered large declines in both their current personal finances as well as buying conditions for durables. With continued declines in energy prices, the median expected year-ahead inflation rate fell to 5%, its lowest reading since February, but still well above the 4.6% reading from a year ago. At 3%, median long-run inflation uh, expectations remained within the 29 to 3.1% range seen over the past year. Uncertainty over long-run inflation receded a bit with the interquartile range and expectations falling from 4.7 last month to 3.8 this month, remaining above the 3.3 range seen last August. Still, the share of consumers blaming inflation for eroding their living standards remained near 48%. But obviously, um, having inflation expectations anchored at a somewhat low level is going to be really important uh, for the Fed. This week's news followed an unusually strong jobs report last week, Friday, which showed 528,000 jobs added and unemployment dropping to 3.5%, which initially stoked fears of the Fed having to be more aggressive with interest rates. Many analysts have picked apart the jobs report, which showed significant growth in lower wage hourly jobs as a potential warning sign that more people are simply working two or more jobs to make ends meet. Similarly, the growth in average hourly earnings is cause for caution as the 5.2% annualized increase is not keeping up with inflation at 8.5%. And here's a quote from the report. In July, average hourly earnings for all employees on private non-farm payrolls rose by 15 cents or 0.5% to $32.27. Over the past 12 months, average hourly earnings have increased by 5.2%. In July, average hourly earnings of private sector production and non-supervisory employees rose by 11 cents or 0.4% to $27.57. Meanwhile, the bond market, specifically the 10-year U.S. Treasury, seems to be pricing in a recession as yields have fallen steadily since peaking in mid-June. now down around 2.84%. So my thought is that as much as investors, especially stock market investors, want to break out the champagne, um, a recession will um, certainly not be good for corporate earnings. And we could see potentially another leg down in the stock market without some extraordinary support from the Fed. Uh, Now, as I've written before, due to our highly leveraged financial system, it's not a question of if the Fed will loosen monetary policy and reduce interest rates. It's just when. Most likely, it'll be late and well after an economic slowdown has already started. We've already seen two consecutive quarters of negative real GDP growth, and yet the government and many economists say that doesn't mean we're in a recession. And so to that, I say, hmm. A resurgence in crazy trading and meme stocks like AMC, Bed Bath & Beyond, and GameStop and crypto, uh, not Bitcoin, is certainly cause for a little concern. As highlighted in a recent CNN article, AMC was up 16% and has now spiked 70% in just the past five trading days, while Bed Bath & Beyond shot up 40% Monday and has more than doubled in the past week. GameStop rose 12% Monday and has gained 30% in the last five days. 
Meanwhile, I've been trying to keep a steady hand on the wheel and not much changes in the portfolio composition this month other than market fluctuations. So here's the breakdown for the month. Cash is at 8%, stocks at 15.5%. That breaks down U.S. large cap 2.5%, U.S. mid cap 2.5%, U.S. small cap 2.4%, and international 8%. And all of that's in my 401k, actively managed um, mutual funds. Uh, no position on commodities at the moment, no position on bonds at the moment. Real estate, 29.7%. 33% is that, of that is uh, in a in my 401k, actively managed, and the remainder is investment property that I'm uh, currently selling to diversify into other opportunities, and uh, that's going smoothly. If you're interested in how I got started in real estate investing after the great financial crisis, you might want to check out my book. There's a link uh, in uh, in the blog post. Private equity is 18.2%, uh, and this includes numerous small uh, seed invest, angel list, and republic investments, and a few direct investments and in startups. I try to invest small amounts across a large number of companies following disruptive themes. I like artificial intelligence, genomics, prop tech, fintech, blockchain, energy, cybersecurity, esports, cannabis, etc. Uh, no new positions were added this month. Um, and again, if you're interested in learning more about startup investing, I have posted on that and I'll have a link in the uh, this week's post. Bitcoin is at 17%. Um, it's a mix of direct Bitcoin ownership, self-custody and cold storage. And also includes Bitcoin IRA and Unchained IRA and a small amount of uh, GBTC. I'm actually currently rolling over my Bitcoin IRA to Unchained. Um, I like actually their product, Unchained's product better since the fees are lower and uh, you can hold your own private keys through a multi-signature setup, um, which uh, just makes me feel better. I don't really trust custodial, um, hold, you know, uh, Bitcoin holdings. Um, I'm dollar cost averaging every two weeks from my paycheck directly into Bitcoin and my strike account at zero fees. And that moves to cold storage every month. And as I've written before, my time horizon is long-term, you know, 10 plus years. So I don't get too worried about short-term price fluctuations and always looking to buy at attractive entry points to add to my position in addition to dollar cost averaging. And then in the last bucket, gold, silver, other alternatives is 9.3%. Uh, the gold and silver is physical coins. Other assets includes a Masterworks account to invest in fractional interest in fine art for additional inflation defense, uh, which is about half of that category. Um, if you're interested, um, I have also a link to a review I did on Masterworks a while back. Um, so far, I've been pretty happy with it couple of my uh, artworks that I own have been appraised recently and uh, values have gone up nicely. So, um, but you know, you don't really get your payday until they actually sell the painting. Um, and then you get your profit and pay taxes and, and figure out what to do with the net. Should be a few years away from that anyway. 
Uh, so overall, I continue to favor, you know, higher weighting of cash for the time being. I'm pretty well invested right now, so I'm able to take advantage of the market recovery without having to chase performance. I'm sure there's money to be made in trading, uh, but I'm just happier taking a more hands-off portfolio approach allocation and, and just leave the trading up to the people smarter than me. Bitcoin especially has recovered nicely from last month, up almost 25% in the past month as of this writing. And it looks to continue to perform well as long as the investing mood is risk on. I think it makes sense to continue to accumulate Bitcoin at current levels, which has been bouncing between 20,000 and 25,000 a coin. Either dollar cost averaging or making spot buys on dips or a little bit above. Um, once again, this is not financial or legal advice. It's for entertainment. Do your own homework. Um, hopefully you find this useful. And thank you for listening to the podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please like and leave a comment. Also, don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss an episode. Uh, you can also follow my Substack at bitcoinfortress.substack.com. And you can follow me on Twitter. My handle is at Nick Reichert, and I also post articles of interest uh, throughout the day as I come across them. Um, uh, I try not to spam it. And uh, that's it. I'll talk to you all next week. Bye-bye.